The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today using squarespace.com. Use the promo code CANDIDFRAME at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And we also have the support of MiPhoto, who has just introduced their latest generation of tripod and monopod, the MiPhoto Airs. They're lighter, smaller, more stable, and more colorful than ever. Find out more about this and other great designs by visiting mephoto.com and use the code THECANDIDFRAME to get 15% off any MeePhoto purchase. That's mephoto, M-E-F-O-T-O, dot com. This is Ibadian X and this is The Candid Frame. One of the great things about choosing the life of a photographer is the opportunity it provides you to connect with other people. Even the shyest among us suddenly have permission or an excuse to reach out and connect with another human being. The results are sometimes fantastic photographs, but there are moments when the encounter itself, even the briefest of ones, provides memories that make the photographs all the more special. Photographer Castro Frank is a person who treasures such moments. He not only likes making photographs of people, but he loves the time he takes to get to know his subjects. Even if it's the result of a chance encounter on the street, it's an attitude that when combined with his visual style, makes him the kind of photographer that clients and fans are drawn to. Castro, thank you for uh, appearing on the show. I'm really pleased to, to get a chance to meet you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I thank just you. got turned down to your work. Uh, I, there's a guy on YouTube, Red Photo. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it was, I just found him and I was subscribing, and then I saw the little profile that he did on you. Yeah, he was uh, he was very generous of uh, doing that, and um, it's it's nice when people admire your work and you don't you know really realize that your work actually has an impact on others. Yeah, and it was you know. Of course, it was interesting because you're LA and you shoot LA where, like I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it was really interesting to see that you were shooting similar similar uh, locations, some of the very same people. Yeah, which is almost unavoidable, especially when you're shooting in certain pockets of Los Angeles, including downtown. But what, what's interesting about your work is that you really engage with your subjects in a way that a lot of street photographers don't do. Tell me about that. What is it about? wanting to connect with your subjects that's so important to the work that you do on the street. To be honest with you, the reason why I find myself connecting with the people I shoot, and and then this is, I tell this to everyone that asks, is very important because to get a portrait is one thing, but to connect with your subject is another form of art. And being able to extract some type of feeling from the person that I'm talking to and capturing that on my camera, I think that's more powerful and potent for the message that I'm trying to 
pretty much express to the people that are viewing and watching my work. For me personally, I do have a connection with a lot of these these, these individuals that are disenfranchised or addicted to drugs or even alcoholism uh, because those these things are a lot of the things that I've been through as a child and I, I was being raised around my environment. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to relate to it and it, it happened naturally, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's a subject that is kind of a cliche in terms of people photographing people who are disenfranchised, people right. who are, you know, involved with alcoholism or drugs. Or, right. And they're often objectified. So that's why I find your work interesting is because you are attempting to reach a level of intimacy with your subjects mm-hmm. that get conveyed in your photographs. Right. But that's not necessarily an easy thing to do, right? It's not. Because a lot of people are very suspicious about the camera in the first place. Absolutely. So how, how did you sort of begin to sort of bridge what you desire to to get from them, as well as trying to sort of make them realize that you wanted to do more than just capture a, a photograph. You know, everyone has a story, and some people are on the streets for many reasons. Not all of them are, you know, addicts. Some are, you know, veterans. Some are simply, they just fell into a, a dark place that got them to the place they're at at that time, or you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to them. So for me, I try to engage them as I engage someone that's just like me, mm-hmm. that has a home, that is fortunate to have a job. And it's very organic. It's not forced. I approach them with, with uh, respect and I just talk to them like I talk to anybody else. I'm, I am a very outgoing uh, person. That's just my personality, mm-hmm. my character. So I have that advantage of being able to use that as a tool to get close to people that are strangers. And, and it, it, I get, I get, a, I get, I get the advantage of having them trust me at that moment and using those tools that get the stories that I capture. And I love portraiture. I've always loved it. So those two together are just, I just decided just to share people's stories and, continue with it and I didn't have a direction as to where I was going but I just did it because I love it I love to hear people's stories and the stories that I've shared on my social media and other platforms really has reached a lot of people and I get a lot of messages you know thanking me for the inspiration of trying to be a better person or even trying to be better on on their own with some of the struggles that they're going through so I think that's important for me and I think I'm as a photographer you know, sometimes we, we strive to find ourselves and to find our niche. But for me, it's just about sharing people's lives with others and, and allowing something to grow from it organically. And my intentions were never to change or impact someone's life. I, I just simply did it because it's just easy for me to connect with the people based off of the things that I've been through in my mm-hmm. life. As, as much as you feel comfortable, can you tell us about what your upbringing was like? Because you do mention that you had you had some impact by, you know, drug addiction or alcoholism yeah. in your family or, or immediate family. What, what was that about? Tell, tell us, please. My, well, my father, my father is uh, now, he's luckily doing better. But when I was growing up, the, he, he was an alcoholic. One of the ones that, that didn't show much. But now that I look back, the patterns was very much an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. Because of all those things, and even in the neighborhood where I grew up in, a lot of gangs, um, a lot of drugs, prostitution. So these things, uh, and of course, you know, I don't blame anybody because my mom did the best she could and my father did the best he could as well. But 
we got to the we got to a place of of living in an environment that it, it wasn't up to me. It wasn't up to any of us. This was we can what we can afford at that time. And unfortunately, it's just it's like that for millions of people. You know, people that are in Section Eight, people that are on government assistance. And I don't knock them. I mean that that, that it is what it is. Uh, you got to respect it and grow from it and learn how to adapt to changes and. Because of my father, his addiction and his um, alcoholism, I seen it firsthand. You know, I remember seeing my dad at a psych ward because after so much intake of, of drugs, it got into a dark place and he became schizophrenic and he still battles with that to this day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, watching him go through that and watching him go through the struggles on his own, it was difficult because I, I was just 16 when I remember, you know, seeing my dad in those conditions and I didn't know how to react to it I didn't know what to do I mean what does a 16 year old kid do yeah and of course you know we didn't have social media as as a platform as outreach or you know yeah it's easier to do things now I mean back when I was growing up it wasn't you know we didn't have a computer I had no cell phone so it was difficult it was different so everything was just kind of word of mouth like my friends just say like yeah I seen your dad by the railroads talking to himself and mm. and I would just ignore it because I didn't want to feed into it because that's my dad you know I don't want to right. it's kind of uh, one of those things where it, it wasn't embarrassing but at the same time it's nothing that I wanted to speak about because it was delicate so you know be, be, because of all those things I was able to um, be open be open-minded and it allowed me to tap into places and people's minds maybe where it allowed them to be a little bit more open and um, knowing that it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. I mean, it is. you don't have to hide. But it's a tough place to be, not only when you're young, but also growing up in a, a Latino household mm-hmm. where issues of mental health and drug addiction are often not talked about. Right. Especially if it's mental illness. Right. It's like, okay, no habla de eso. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell, don't tell anybody else about that. Yeah. Keep it a secret. That makes it all the more difficult, but it, it makes sense in terms of what I've seen in, in about your work and what I've seen you say about your work is that having witnessed that in your own family gives you uh, a sympathy or even an empathy for people that you see on the street that are yeah. obviously suffering from that. Cause one of the things about mental illness that I've learned uh, from having my own own family member that's suffering, suffering from schizophrenia is the whole idea that the, the drug the drug addiction is is an outcome of them trying to self medicate of them trying to sort of manage their their own demons right and that when you know that and you've experienced that firsthand it gives you a understanding and you look at people that are suffering from that that are out in the street very very differently true it is very true not to say that you know. You can walk up to a schizophrenic and be like, hey, man, how are you? You got to be very careful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've seen a lot, even I've experienced firsthand, you know, people trying to attack me. It's okay. You know, you got to understand, though, that's just that's part of it. That's part of what I do. Just like a police officer does his job on the street, you know, approaching a suspect that could be armed. The first thing is to protect and serve. And that's just what they that's what they go by. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's connect and, you know, being able to gain that trust and then exposing my camera. I don't walk up to somebody with my camera in my hand. That's just not what I do. I try to be respectful and let them know like, hey, look, this is what I do. Would you be willing to um, allow me to, you know, capture this moment? So what are you looking for? What do you react to when when you're out on the street? And when you do see someone, you know, what's your approach? Um, Recently, it's funny. Everyone is different. As, as they as they give me the time to speak to them, 
they show different sides of their character. It's just like a casting of a movie, you know. It's like when you're uh, when you're casting a director and you're looking for a certain person to play a certain role. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they have until they show you, until they speak to you, until they start acting. Then you're like, okay, I love that personality. I want you to be part of my movie. For me, it's kind of the same approach. I I open a conversation, and if it flows, and they start showing me these different sides, and they start doing different actions, then the my subjects become a lot more interesting. And I want to be able to capture those moments because I want to remember that person based off of a certain thing that he said or the way he acted or expression that he made or maybe mm-hmm. um, it's just various things. Everyone is different for me. I don't look for the person with the with no eye. And although these things make interesting subjects, I look for the person that's acting normal, which I don't know what normal is in LA, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's just, you know, being minding his business, kind of, you know, being, I guess, at, at a, at a low, low level, not doing crazy things. And then just talking about how his day is or talking about what he's doing at that time. And mm-hmm. kind of goes from there. Like a guy, for example, this, uh, this guy just recently photographed. Yeah. He was from the Bronx. And he was in an alley and I was, I just walked into this alley just to, you know, kind of like shoot at some artwork and, and I, uh, I seen him sitting there and he approached me and he's like, what are you doing? What are you taking pictures of? And I'm like, oh, just, you know, this alley and some, some artwork. And he goes, oh, you could take a photo of me. And I'm just like, all right, well, this is, this is talk, you know? So we started talking and he's like, you know, I really want a hit. I want to take that hit. I want to take a hit right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, you know, um, and he looked around and he's like, I'm addicted to crack, you know? And I'm like, really? He goes, and I'm like, you really need a hit right now? He goes, I really need a hit right now. Do I, would I offend you if I did it right now? I'm like, you wouldn't offend me. Would I, would I offend you if I shot it? And he's like, no, no, not at all. And so like that became my subject, you know, Mm. now I I didn't look for it. It just kind of came to me. It was just being me being not scared and being able to communicate with someone that's doing something that, that feeds his addiction. Yeah. I was able to capture an image and share his story. And because of that, you know, I, I got a lot of people reaching out to me and saying how amazing a conversation with someone like that is. Because not everyone can talk to somebody. People are yeah, scared. Yeah. The year is almost over. And though it's been a tough year in a variety of ways, hopefully it's been a great time for your photography. I know it's been for me. And as you look at some of those images that you've produced over the past 12 months, hopefully you're seeing growth and successes. And when you look at those images, make sure to take pride in what you've accomplished. But you don't want to just relegate those images to the dark recesses of your computer. You want to share those images. And while Facebook and Instagram are wonderful, your own website allows you to really demonstrate how far you've come as a photographer. Having your own website and blog showcases not only your best work, but also your voice and your ability to be consistent. And there's no better service than Squarespace to help you do just that. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today with no credit card required. Visit squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. A lot of people who've had something like what you've experienced in your life would not want to return to it in their work. 
And they would just sort of avoid it. They would just redirect their energy to the exact opposite of that or something that's not completely related to you or sort of, sort of revisiting your own sort of trauma, your own experiences, which I think a lot of artists do. Yeah. But when you think about the why of, of why you're doing that, do you, have you ever think about why is it that I'm so drawn to this? Why I keep returning to this subject matter over and over again? I don't want to say that. It had to do with me being a product of my environment because it's such a cliche thing to say. And I, I do, although I do feel like some people represent that, I, I honestly, I'm just, I like that grittiness. Maybe mm. I appreciate me living in those conditions when I was a kid as an adult because it taught me values and it taught me how to be a man. You know, maybe I take those, those memories that I had and I try to take, try to make something positive out of them mm-hmm. instead of letting it I don't want to ever blame society because of who I am or what my mistakes are. You know, I want to be able to be my own man and, and leave my legacy as a person that was raised in this type of environment and grew out of it. And I was able to adapt. I'm able to adapt to any kind of circumstances. Yeah. And I'm able to do what I love and, and have passion. So I think the streets really taught me the passion part and being organic and being real. Maybe that's the reason why I photograph these type of subjects because it's kind of my way of saying thank you almost. And it's, it, they are, th- these are valuable lessons. And if I can give hope to someone that's maybe in the same conditions that I lived in, possibly they can grow up to be something like seeing it as a blessing instead of uh, being in, in, in negative. No, I got it. You yeah. know what I mean? How did you come to start picking up a camera? When I was around 18, I was you know, getting into trouble and then I moved away. And I ended up uh, living in Iowa. And when I moved to Iowa, um, I was working at construction because, I mean, there were no jobs over there. And I was doing construction. And I remember, uh, you know, sitting down, drilling at a floor. And then this lady in the guy in the business suit comes up to me. And uh, the lady's like, oh, you know what you're doing? Um, that's that's going to be my station. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what's, what's the station? And he goes, well, it's going to be a photo lab. I'm like, oh, awesome. I'm like, and she's like, you should apply. You seem like a, like a, like a good guy. You should apply. And I'm like, maybe I will. So I, I applied for the job. I ended up getting it. I was a photo tech at Walmart, super Walmart. And I was uh, at that time we we're processing film. You know, I would always process film and look at some of the images. And this one old dude used to come all the time and drop his film off. And we really, we created a relationship or right? in, and, and uh, a friendship. And he used to, um, I used to point little things on his photographs and, tell him how cool it is and you know it's all black and white and he uh one day he's like you know what you have a good eye you, you should be a you should pick up a camera and i think you'd be a great photographer and i'm like you think so and uh i said okay so a couple months down the road i saved money and i bought myself my first camera i i used, used to shoot a lot of film and i loved it it was a uh, it was like immediate like i couldn't wait to wake up and go out shooting and mm-hmm. you know just to look at the, what I captured and at that time there was no platform to share any any of these images it was just like it was therapy you know it was like I, I love doing it for the love of it and it wasn't there's was no Instagram around no Facebook around um it was only Flickr which has been around for a long oh, time yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I used to upload some images on Flickr and get some cool response and I, I kind of like you know from there it just I just started connecting with people when I I photographed this Amish kid who was driving a big tractor and this kid had to be like eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. He looked at me and I looked at him. He locked eyes with, with, with me and then I raised my camera and he just, well, like, he waved his hands like he didn't want a, a photograph. And so I respected that. 
And I, I drove off and it was in the middle of nowhere, like on a ranch. Mm-hmm. And something inside me said, I have to photograph this kid. So I drove back, you know, I, 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 I passed him up a little bit. I got out the car and I waited for him to approach me again. And I raised my camera again and he just stared at me like saying, like, <laughs> don't you dare do it. But I had to click that photograph. And, and since then I, I, I realized that I can capture people and I can connect with people a lot better than doing it doing landscapes which i respect landscapes but i like people better so that's that's how i got into it and what helped you to sort of take it to another level i have to say it was a variety of things i i i gradually i gradually explored photography you know what i what i liked and what i didn't like what what um was soothing to me and i had to be selfish a little bit because a lot of times photographers aren't selfish they want to do it for the media they want to do it for the likes and they want to, you know, mm-hmm. they want to get the responses and that, you know, they go, oh, but it's not passion. It's not organic. It doesn't come from an authentic place. You know, for me, I love to shoot people. I take my time with it. I don't rush and go out and, oh, I ran out of social media content. I got to go out and photograph. I don't, I didn't want to fall into that same category as a lot of these photographers have, you know, fallen into mm-hmm. where I don't want to do it for the likes, you know, I want to go out there and, and connect with people but really connect with them and take my time with it and just do it for me, do it for, for myself. And, and that's how I'm selfish with it. I don't, I, a lot of times people think that, you know, they'll do something because it's cool or it's in or the new. Now a lot of people are capturing people on the street, which it's fine, but I don't feel that they're connecting the same way I am. And what brought you back to, to the West Coast? Um, I, after a few years living in Iowa, I ended up moving back to Vegas that's where my mom was living at the time. I wasn't doing much photography in Vegas, which is silly because I, I would have thought I would have explored it a lot more with this, you know, drive. But mm-hmm. something about it didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really feel it out there. And um, a friend, you know, said that I should move back to L.A. And so I did. It only took a few a few months for me to start shooting out here again. Yeah, I haven't stopped. When did you start to realize that there was a, a legacy to what you were that you were doing, that there was this thing called street photography. There had been people out there doing this kind of work sort of for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, I decided mm-hmm. to take a class at LACC to kind of broaden my, my horizons and to explore other photographers, to study other you know photographers that were doing similar work. I got to be honest, I wasn't very good at school. I, I, I can't sit there and I'm always fiddling and I'm always thinking and I'm always thinking about this, you know, next photograph that I want to create and how it looks. And I'm just constantly always working my mind. And plus they were teaching me things that I kind of already taught myself, you know, Mm -hmm. now I am, I am, you know, I got to say that I am, I like to learn every day is a learning experience for me, but I wanted to also do things my way and not get molded into a certain way, like doing things, you know? Although they, it does help you. I'm not saying that, you know, don't do it. But for me personally, it just didn't work for me. Since then, I started to explore other photographers and how street photography was a thing. And I didn't know what category I fell into. I just, I still don't know. It's funny. I still don't <laughs> know what category I fall into. So I just say c- contemporary street photography because I uh, document things as they appear. And I, I like to create I like to create it as fine art. And I don't know if it's fine art to everybody else, but to me it is. So when did you start thinking about, well, I'm creating all this work and I'm posting some of them on Flickr or Instagram, but Mm -hmm. I want to do more with it other than that. When did you start thinking about making photography more than just taking the picture, processing it, and then posting it somewhere online? It started because I wanted to, 
I, I've, I made my mind up that I wanted to do this. This is what I wanted to do as a job. And, you know, because the passion behind it was so intense, I wanted to, I only seen myself photo, photographing and being able to show my work to the world. After I realized that Instagram and social media is an amazing outlet, because I was against it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to share anything on social media. I, I was afraid people were going to steal my ideas and thoughts, but they can't, they can't duplicate what you, what you have created organically. It's just impossible. So I just started to explore it more and I started to notice that galleries existed. I started to realize that editorials existed, that places that hire people like myself exist and that, you know, I, I can, I can make a living out of it. So I started to explore galleries and prints and how fine art works and how to print your own stuff and how difficult it is. And there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. Very expensive. But finally, you know, I had my first show in 2011. It was called the Black Wall Project. And it was pretty much um, photographs of individuals of Skid Row and the community of Skid Row. And it wasn't just, you know, the disenfranchised. It was everybody that lived in the community. And uh, it did very well. You know, people, were they loved it. It was, I have had great response. And from there, I got contacted by eBay. And they asked me to shoot their executives in the same form that I shot these <laughs> individuals, which was going to be, it wasn't going to look the same, of course. And I knew that. But since then, you know, that was, uh, that was my first, you know, kind of, um, kind of like a go pass. It was like, okay, so this is how, it's, this is how it is. This is what I had to do. From there, I just, um, I had works, I had works with uh, Fox and CBS and they contracted me to do some original photographs for their hit series, uh, Vegas. And we did another show, Rake for CBS. And it was, it was, it was awesome to see my work on, on TV, on stage and on a set, you know, it was pretty amazing. Kind of took off from there. I haven't stopped since. And I'm trying to, you know, educate myself on the business side, which Mm -hmm. is complicated. And, but I feel like with, it's just like anything you learn it and you continue doing it. And I'm here now with you. Like, you know, there's always something that pops up. Yeah. It's really interesting because you hear a lot of people talk about who have an affinity for working on the street. Yeah. And people say, well, how can you make a living from that? You know, because like, there's so many street photographers and, you know, fine art world isn't interested in, there isn't interest in terms of the commercial editorial world, but you're just uh, yet, yet another example where when you bring your own unique style and your own unique flavor to what you're doing, people will see it and they will see what makes you an individual, makes you an artist. Right. And that's what they become invested in not so much what you're photographing but how you're photographing yeah, exactly create and that's how you create your own style you yeah. know which is difficult to, to discover your own style were you obsessed with that in terms of what, what is my style did you have that phase in your, uh, in your development you know what I, I think everyone has i think everyone's like so you know what am i like what type of photographer am i and you ask questions and but i think that i've learned this is what i've really learned i don't really ask questions anymore i just have to have trust in myself and my vision and create what I love. Because if you create what others are, what others want you to create, then it's not yours anymore. I respect people and their opinion. Mm -hmm. And some people throw stuff out there like, oh, you should photograph this and you should do this. But at the end of the day, it's it's not going to bring me happiness. And that's, I think that's what everyone's seeking, you know, being happy with what you do. Yeah. And I love what I love what I do. Do you struggle though with, especially when you start getting paid clients who have their own set of expectations mm-hmm. of what they want and you trusting sort of your gut? Cause sometimes 
Yeah. You, you can sort of feel like you have to compromise. Yeah. But you don't necessarily should compromise. How do you sort of strike that balance when you're trying to, you know, do something in a way that you know is true to you, but that also meets the needs of the person who's paying you? I think that, I think that's not, that's just not being afraid to, um, explore further into your ability to create images on all levels. I mean, I think there's going to be times where you're going to, I mean, if you want to make it as a, as a big photographer, you're going to have clients that are going to want certain things. And e- even if they don't, I mean, they got you for a reason. Mm-hmm. So that's 50% of, of the reason why you're there. So the other 50%, if it's just a little bit of a, of a compromise, that's fine. You know, unless you have a project to present, to the client in your own style, in your own style and vision, and they they love it that much, then that's fine. But for me, I honestly, I I just always kept it true. Like I just had to be real. I'm always expressive. I, I'll tell the client, listen, like I think this would look cool. But what if we did it like this? You know, not completely saying no. I don't want to do it like that. This is yeah. my way. You can't you can't be um, you can't be so closed minded sometimes. That ex- that that does help you. It does really help you. Any uh, any opportunity or job will help you grow as a photographer. It really will. When you went from photographing people in Skid Row to photographing these executives in, in eBay, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge disparity. Huge. But what did you find in terms of photographing them that was similar and how were they different? The way they carry themselves are different. But if you were to put a suit on a homeless guy, they look just like an eBay executive. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's the truth. It is the truth. And honestly, you got to respect the people. Whether, however they look. Sometimes the, the people with the most money are dressed like a lot of homeless individuals. Sometimes these homeless individuals are dressed a lot better than the people with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's just a balance, you know. You got to just approach it um, with the respect and even, you know, respect your vision. Go in with a game plan, you know, and execute it to the best of your ability. And there is no, there is no, um, no, I'm going to treat this person with, you know, a lot more of, of you know, of a, of a, um, you want to say like there's everything is equal for me everything is balanced nobody is better than anybody else so it allows me to create my photographs in a more relaxed way yeah you know because sometimes you overstress like oh my god i'm shooting this celebrity i'm shooting this super executive that's worth billions of dollars it kind of does put you in this sort of like you know like anxiety and Mm -hmm. i don't want to deal with that when i'm shooting how often do you spend with people when you're photographing them um there's been times where i spend an hour with an individual and times where i spent 10 minutes. Everyone varies. Depends on, it depends on, it just depends on the person. It doesn't really, I, I, I have, I give no time limit to the person. You know, if they're going to give me the time, I'm going to give them the time. And it's been times where I've, I've, it took me like 45 minutes talking and we're, everything's cool. And then I'm like, hey, can I photograph you? And they're like, no, I, I don't feel comfortable. And I, you have to respect it and walk away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the images are stuck in my head, you know, and that's, uh, sometimes those, those moments are, are, um, I cherish those moments maybe more than I do if I was to photograph. Sometimes, you know, I, 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 I'm able to be moved and touched by their story and I don't get to photograph them, but I, I'm still okay with it. You know, I can walk away still learning something, knowing another individual out there and being okay with it, you know. Have you ever had the experience of photographing a, a beautiful scene, a beautiful moment, thinking that you have a killer shot, only to find that it was ruined due to camera shake. The shutter speed was too slow, and that tail-tale softness ensures that the image will only look good at thumbnail size. It can be a heartbreaking moment. 
And it's moments like that that have helped me to appreciate a tripod. But I don't want to carry a big, bulky unit with me everywhere that I go. But MiPhoto provides a compact and lightweight solution with their new MiPhoto Air series of tripods and monopod. Not only are they 30% lighter than classic MiPhoto models, but they are also super fast to set up and collapse. Whether you're traveling abroad or just taking a day trip, the MiPhoto Airs provide both the convenience and stability you need to get those shots as sharp as possible. The MiPhoto Airs are available in seven different models and seven brilliant colors. Check them out and order one today. You can save 15% from your purchase by using the promo code THECANDIDFRAME when you visit MiPhoto.com. That's M-E-F-O-T-O.com. You know, you hear so many stories of all these different people and all these paths that they have taken to get to where they are. You know, what kind of perspective does it give to you on your own life, hearing these intimate details of stories? Because even though we interact with people all the time, Mm -hmm. we're rarely intimate with each other, right? right? Everything is relatively superficial. But Mm -hmm. here you are engaging in a really intimate way with people. And as a result, you get to connect, you get to understand and experience them in a way that's kind of rare nowadays. So when you do that, how does that, how does that shape your own perspective in terms of what you're choosing to do with your own life? You know, I, I feel like life will throw you curveballs at all times. Every day is different. Every day is a blessing. For me, I, um, I'm just very thankful, you know, to be here and to continue to uh, fight for what I believe in and work very hard to obtain the things that I have. And to cherish my possessions and being able to, uh, just com- continue to go and get it. You know, sometimes the people that I speak to, you know, they'll give me these very heartfelt stories where I'm like, damn, hey, that could be me. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do to prepare myself for those moments where times are tough or I don't have money? So it, it's almost like school of real life. You know, it's like. Yeah. And I, I honestly, it, it, it has helped me a lot. Before I used to be more, you know, lenient, like, oh, cool. I just kind of go with it. And, but now it's like, you know, it, things are, are hitting more deeper where I'm like, okay, I'm 33 years old. I'm, I'm a grown man. I have a wife. I need to make sure that I protect my assets. And these people honestly teach me that. So have you had a moment where, cause especially now, you know, you're married, you're, Building a life with mm-hmm. someone else, you're responsible for someone else. It's not like you're just going out there being a single guy doing his thing. Yeah. Has there been a moment where things you're not sure about how things are going to work out that have created you to a situation where you sort of doubt the path that you're taking? Have you had a moment where you're just like, is this photography thing the thing I'm really supposed to be doing? Or are you so clear on your vision that this is what you're meant to do that that's not, that's not been an issue? You know, the best thing about my situation is that my wife believes in me as much as I believe in myself. And she believes in my vision as much as I believe in my vision. So she believes in my vision as much as I believe in my vision. And I feel like if you have two minds or you have two bodies believing in the same thing, mm-hmm. it can't be greater than that. You know, it's very clear to me what I have to do. I, I have no blurred lines. No, I have no blurred vision. I, I, I am tunnel vision to where I'm set to go. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. It is. What's your family think of your work? 
they love it. They really love it. They, they, they're very proud of it, especially my mom, you know. My dad doesn't really engage in my work a lot, but my mom is very proud of it. She shares it on her social media, which is mm. funny that she has that, but <laughs> who doesn't, right? Um, so she shares it on there and things that I don't consider accomplishments, they, they're, they're accomplishments to her, which is cool. I, I, it's, I'm very fortunate to have a mom like that. She never pushed me to be a doctor or to be a lawyer or something I didn't want to do. She always just said to, to be the best I can, I can be. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, I saw in one of the videos that you had an exhibit where you had those big prints. Yeah. Was that the, the one that you did? No, that was, uh, that was my second show. I, was had, second? I had that in June. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us about, about that show because those, those prints were pretty big from what I saw. Yeah. And that's, you were talking about putting on a show is not cheap. Well, when you got prints that big, you're taking it to another level. So yeah. tell us about the story behind that exhibit. Um, well, you know, I, uh, I, we started to talk about it with my friend like a year ago. And how cool it would be. We, we curated our own show and we showcase our, our work. And, um, mind you, I haven't shown, I've shown like, you know, photographs here and there, but not to the level where I wanted to show my work. I wanted to introduce my work in, on the biggest scale possible. And, um, like again, they were not cheap, you know, they weren't cheap. And I was thankful that I was able to, you know, uh, do exactly what I envisioned. And, um, you know, so we got this, this huge space. A warehouse in downtown on Santa Fe. And we, we got people that were involved that helped curate the show. We had, you know, people that catered the show. It was on for a week and a half. It was an amazing space. We did it exactly the way we wanted to, to, to do. It's hard to go through galleries because what they want things certain ways. Yeah. They want to, um, control everything, you know, and I respect galleries. And I feel like every, every artist eventually kind of needs to experience a gallery to know what, what they want for themselves, you know? So we got these, I, I got this, these, this idea to go big because this is a big warehouse, you know? And, um, I went as big as a print. The prints are allowed me to go. I got my prints done at, um, Milk Studios and I had seven large prints. There was 60 by like 79, 60 by 80, oh 60 by 90. Um, they were really, really large. And I had custom frames from the same framer that does, you know, the Hammer Museum, which I was fortunate to go through this guy because everything was, you know, the way I wanted it to look. And we uh, invited everyone we could. We had um, PR involved and they reached out to everybody they could as well. And, you know, we got the show and it was amazing. It was a good experience. I know that I wouldn't want to go big anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was, it's, I didn't think transportation. I didn't think about what ha- what happens afterwards, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just thought, like, I want to go big and I want to just do it this way. And this is how I want it done. I had the support from my wife. We went for it. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. Great. We have, we had good, um, people, good reviews, people talking great about it. And, you know, from there, it's just kind of on to the next. So see what happens next. Did you have some outcomes? Because if you go to a gallery, the whole idea is sell, sell, well, sell work. Yeah. Was that part of your goal or was there sort of a long-term goal that you were hoping to derive from all the effort you put into that? I just wanted people to remember the show and interact with the show and and kind of not just walk through white walls with artwork on it and be like, oh, cool, 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 and just walk yeah. away. I wanted people to walk in and be like, wow, those photographs are incredible. They're beautiful and I want them to stare at it and, and remember them, you know? It's kind of like a, it's very, it's like the elephant in the room, you know? It's like yeah. I wanted them to think of it like it was, it was incredible. You wanted to have, them to have an experience. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in impact too, you know? I wasn't focused on sales. 
Although that's, you know, every art, every artist wants to sell. Um, I, I did sell something on that show, which was great. It was an amazing opportunity for me to explore that side of it, you know, cause it was art sellers are wait, it's another monster. But I was fortunate to have people on my team that night that took care of that, that any inquiries and emails and follow ups and that sort of thing. So I do have a collector at the moment, which is collecting my work. He has a museum. He actually has his own museum in Mexico City. And, um, this collector is very important. Right now he's looking at two pieces. So see what happens. You know, you're doing your street portrait work. You're out there looking for editorial and, and commercial work. Mm-hmm. But how often are you going out there and doing the work that you just want to do? Is it more difficult to find the time to do that? You know, sometimes, sometimes, it's, sometimes it is, but I, I only do it when I want to do it. Like I'm, I've been thinking about it. Like I wanted to do it last week. I was really busy though. I wasn't able to do that. Um, I did get to go to protest though of the elections, which was, um, I had, I had captured some, some images there, but you know, I, I really do it on my own time. I try to do it every week just to continue to exercise my, my craft and, and be sharp. And yeah, but it's just whenever I want to do it, to be honest. You know, we've been talking about how you engage with people and that's sort of an obvious, obvious strength. Um, but when you look at your work, especially over time, let's say over a relatively short period of time over the last two or three years, where do you think you've really sort of made improvements? You know, how, in what areas do you feel like you really have developed as, as a photographer? I guess switching focus, being able to, um, really kind of, uh, tell the story from, from the person that's telling it, you know, it's really, uh, kind of going through the image and the story and making sure that I don't miss words that the person said. So being like a journalist at before it was more like I go out there, I see someone awesome. We talk, mm-hmm. I shoot him and that's it. You know, it was never, it was kind of like, that was more archival work. You know, this is more a different approach now where I'm kind of a photojournalist. You know, I'm out there on the street. I'm interacting with the subject. We are talking about their life and I am documenting this as the person talks. I'm recording it as they talk. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that's, I haven't, not only have, I didn't do it because I haven't seen it, but I haven't seen anyone do that. You know, and I just started to kind of explore that a little bit more because it is cool to see, well, at least it's, it's more impactful for me to see a photograph with the actual voice of the person. It, it's just another way of, you know, showcasing your work. And to me, it's all about showcasing my work at the best of my ability and being able to show the viewer exactly what I see and what I'm listening to, you know, and putting those things together and, and that's the outcome. You know, I, I love that. It's just, it's different for me. And it's just another, another sort of facet of the way that you work. Yeah. You know, because you're all about sort of revealing the humanity of your subjects and recording the audio is another way of being able to go beyond the superficial. Yeah, you know exactly. It's like you're going into the mind of the person. Yeah. The words sometimes don't, I don't know, sometimes they don't just, they don't cut it. You know, sometimes you have to, there's a lot of photos that, that leave me wondering, you know, like, huh. And then there's the ones that I listen to with the sound that's just like his voice. It sounds so soothing. It sounds so um honest. It sounds so humble, you know. And then you have the, the photograph and then it's just like, it goes well together. And sometimes the voices are very surprising. Very surprising. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the beauty about, that's the beauty about it. It's like, you don't know what, sometimes I always, I always, I always used to seen photographs and I used to be like, I wonder what they sound like or I wonder how they, how they talk or 
or what they feel. You could almost feel how they feel through their voice, you know? Mm, That's awesome. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Gordon Parks. I think that, you know, he documented the times that we're kind of going through now in a different way, but his work is phenomenal. I mean, the segregation and the civil rights and, you know, the color only, those photographs are stuck to my, they're, they're stuck in my head forever. And a lot of, a lot of people don't know who Gordon Parks is, you know, and his work is something that I admire the most. And honestly, I, I strive to be like that, to be able to document my time right now in a way that will be remembered forever. And that's what he's done for me. Yeah, he's awesome. I got to meet him. Really? Yeah, when I was in college. I have a, I don't think I, I don't know if I ever shared the story uh, on 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 the show, but someone had his number and I got his number and I was going to go to New York and spend the summer. Wow. And I wanted to meet him. And so I said, oh, just give him a call. So I call the number fully expecting like a secretary or somebody to pick up. And he picks up and I rec- I know his wow. voice. Yeah. And I panicked and I hung up. <laughs> And then the next day, uh-huh. and then the next day, uh, I called again, going, "I hope he doesn't recognize my voice." Yeah. And he picked up, and I just told him I was going to be coming out, and I'd like to visit and talk to him. And he was very generous. He said, "Just give me a call when you get there." And like the next day, I was calling him, <laughs> and it's like I got there and went to visit him at his apartment, which is right across from uh, the UN. Oh wow! And uh, at the, at that point, he was in the midst of writing his uh, third or fourth biography. I forget which one. And uh, he had all these prints that I had been familiar with that he was considering for the book. Wow. And there was just all this stuff that was around the apartment because I'd read all his biographies because I absorbed everything about him. It's like I knew the stories behind all the things. Yeah, that's... And it was just like being in his presence for about... I think I, there, I was there for an hour. Wow. It was probably one of the most um, humblest things I've ever had the chance to, to do, to be in the midst of one of your heroes. Yeah. You know, he's... He's, he's one of the great ones. Oh, he so is. So it's a great recommendation. He is, man. He's uh, really, I mean, for me, you know, to be able to see his photographs and be like, he was there. Yeah. Like he, he photographed that time. And that's really cool to, to see that, you know. And I want people to see that about my work. And to be like, wow, he was there in front of this person. And this person photographed him, you know. And yeah. that's, it's something for me that's, that's an honor, you know. That's awesome. Well, Castro. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you and uh, the support and the love. And check me out at Meet Frankie C. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Castro Frank for joining us here at the Candid Frame. You can check out his work by visiting CastroFrank.com. Remember that you can and do play a big role in introducing others to the work that we do here at The Candid Frame. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more, or anything in between on a monthly basis and help make a big difference to the work we do here at TCF. Thanks to Hannah Schreer and Nancy Wright for your support of the show. Donations like yours have really helped to make a big difference this this past year, providing us the flexibility to interview photographers from all over the world. 
Having a more flexible schedule makes it possible to schedule interviews with photographers that otherwise might not be available because of schedule conflicts. Many of the interviews that you've heard over the past six months have been made possible because of your support and contributions. Thank you. And lastly, I'm working on joining photographer and fellow podcaster Martin Bailey for his Akaido Winter Landscape Photography Adventure in the beginning of January, and I hope to see some of you there. You can find out more about this wonderful experience by visiting martinbaileyphotography.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.